I'm Steve Backshaw, and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Hey guys, welcome to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Adrian here, and I'm here, of course, with Steve. G'day, guys. And we're very lucky today to have with us Diane Pearson, and Di is a zookeeper with Adelaide Zoo. Welcome, Di. Welcome. Now, I've known you for years. Um, you've been here a few times and played with our animals, and we've wanted to get you on the show for a while, and you've always said no to us. But you've just come back from far north Queensland, working with tree kangaroos, and that's something that you're quite passionate about, and you're happy to come on and talk about that? Yeah, that's fine. You worked with Karen Coombs? Yes, that's right. Can you talk a little bit about what Karen does up there, please, Doc? Yeah, so Karen has been working with the Lumholt tree kangaroo species for about 20 years. When she first moved to the African Tablelands, she started a PhD on the ecology and utilisation of Lumholtz tree kangaroos. And ever since then, she's yeah, fallen in love with them and, and yeah, it's the only tree kangaroo rescue centre in the world. So that's the only tree kangaroo rescue facility on the planet? Yeah, so in New Guinea, obviously there is uh, conservation centres there, but yeah, they don't do any tree kangaroo rescue as such. Okay. And does she only work with the Lumholtz tree kangaroo? Yeah, so they're localised to her area. The Bennett's tree kangaroo are up further in the Daintree, so yeah, she just specialises in Lumholtz. And what's the main reason these animals are brought into care? So there's a few reasons. Uh, the main main one is dog attacks at the moment. So yeah, people not controlling their dogs, letting them out, but also wild dogs as well. So there are hybridised dingo up there as well in the rainforest. Car accidents... Okay, so you get injured adult animals and also, I imagine, joeys. We brought in for care to orphan joeys as well. So even though a tree kangaroo is an arboreal species, um, they do come down to the ground every now and then, so they do get hit by cars as well. And this often means that the mother is killed, but they protect their baby really well by holding them tight in the pouch. And Karen normally ends up with just the joey, or she can also have both, or just the, just the mum. Not many people would get to work with these animals, so it's pretty extraordinary that someone's doing it, but it would have to be pretty specialised because I imagine they'd be a bit different to other like kangaroos and wallabies. Yeah, so they are quite a, a muscular species. They do have their own mindset and behaviour traits. They aren't like a normal kangaroo at all. They're quite smart and obviously they are arboreal, so they are quite good at climbing. So yeah, if you've got them in your house, they're all over the kitchen bench and up on the door and quite hard to contain. That's interesting. I mean, I've raised yellow-footed rock wallabies here, so I get a bit of an idea. You've raised rock wallabies and tree kangaroos. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I suppose a yellow-footed rock wallaby does have a bit more bounce and um, can get a little bit higher. A tree kangaroo is more muscular in its arms and can pull itself up on more stuff and is, is not as light on its feet and so can do a bit more damage. Interesting. So I've seen yellowfoots do parkour where they jump onto a flat wall. Yeah, and then rebound sort of end, off. Yeah, and yeah. end up on your kitchen yes. cupboard. They're not, they're not doing that no, kind of stuff? No, not quite. They're more, they'll just directly jump onto something, yeah. So say um, they're in a tree, they can jump down about 20 metres. Whoa, oh, 20 metres? Yeah, yeah. Whoa. Quite good at jumping. What do they weigh? Uh, so the Lumholtz is a bit different to other species I work with at Adelaide Zoo, which is the good fellows. But the Lumholtz weighs between six and nine kilos. That's a good weight to jump 20 metres. So yes, yeah. Do they ever injure themselves jumping from trees? Um, not that I know of. You'd um, hope they wouldn't. Yes, that's right. <laughs> they have quite a padded foot, so the chances of that would be pretty slim. But, yeah. So in respects of, like, when, when I think of a kangaroo, the last thing I think is a kangaroo in a tree. Yeah. Because they just don't look... What are the main differences between 
mm-hmm. normal kangaroo. So a lot of people think the same. Um, not many people know about the tree kangaroos because they don't imagine a ground-dwelling species being in a tree. So the main differences between the two is the tree kangaroo can actually move its legs independently compared to a normal macropod on the ground which can only jump with both legs at the same time. They obviously use their tail for climbing, not prehensile tail, but uh, for using it for balance and um, yeah, being able to stay upright. Whereas the ground-dwelling macropods use their tail to spring off and jump, whereas they don't use it for that. And obviously, yeah, their front paws and arms are quite muscular compared to all macropods. It amazes me with koalas that can jump from tree to tree and I imagine they do exactly that. Yes, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, they spring off with their back legs and hang on with their front paws. So they've got huge claws, not so much sharp, but, yeah, quite large. I thought I saw a picture of them before. Their paws almost look like a leopard. Or yes, yeah, like so, so huge claws and, yeah. yeah, their pads are quite thick. Their soles are really, really rubbery compared to, obviously, a normal macropod, so they can rip onto the trees. Yeah. It's funny you say how they're muscular. There are some kangaroos that are super buff, particularly oh. on Kangaroo Island. Like They just look like they're bloody... Big of- yes. <laughs> Kangaroos look really mean, don't they? They sneak yeah. in steroids, I reckon. Yeah, I reckon chicken. he could climb a tree, some of those big ones. <laughs> if he wanted to. <laughs> he just pulled the tree down to him. Yeah, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> you said that you guys at the zoo work with the Goodfellows tree kangaroo. Yeah, that's correct. So yeah. then that's not obviously an Australian species? No. So there is 14 species in the world, two in Australia. So the two that are in Australia, they're endemic to Australia? Yeah, that's correct. So, yeah, the Lumholtz um, around Afton Tablelands and the Bennetts around the Daintree. That's interesting. Papua New Guinea have a lot more than we do. I guess they have a lot more forests. Yes, they do. And we're losing our forests a bit faster than they are. That's a shame. I mean, when I was up the Daintree, they were saying it's the oldest rainforest on Earth. Yeah. Bit of a shame to lose it. It is very, very sad, yeah. Yeah. Did you go out looking for wild ones while you're up there? Yeah, so around Karen's property there is wild ones, not that I did see them there, but about 20 kilometres out from her property there is some more there as well. So they're all around the place but very hard to spot. The best place was the Narada Tree Factory, so... Tree factory. Sorry, tea factory. I'll <laughs> <laughs> just make more rainforest. Yeah, they just, where yeah. they make That's why they're there. <laughs> um, and they have a really good viewing area and they're often around the trees around that area as well. But yeah, very hard spot in the wild. Oh, I thought it'd be really easy to see tree kangaroos. Like when yeah. you go spotlighting here in Adelaide, you know, you, you'd see possums and things just mm-hmm. by doing, you know, looking for eye shine. Yeah. But it's just so dense. Yeah, that's right. And they could be up as high as 30 metres and yeah, you, you won't see them. They are very quiet. Unless they're on the ground, you won't won't really hear them. It's interesting how you said they use their legs independently. Yeah. Like, well, I'd just imagine them hopping from tree branch to tree branch. How, how yeah, is so like- they do as well. Their main reason why they use that is for when they're descending from a tree. So they don't want to hop down from a tree backwards. They normally yeah use their legs independently to go down, almost like we would climb down a ladder. So they go backwards? Yeah. So yeah. Can, some kangaroos can go backwards? Yes, so they that's can. Why, that's why they didn't get on the coat of arms, Steve. No, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> what? 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 Well, the coat of arms in Australia, Steve, which you should know. Yeah, no, I knew that bit, but what are you on about going backwards? <laughs> well, they can go backwards. Yeah, so tree kangaroos can go backwards. Yeah, so that's why they can use their legs but, independently. But, land kangaroos can't go backwards? No. Apparently. Sorry. I'd, I'd like yeah, to well. challenge that. I reckon you could make one go backwards. Surely. But probably not independently. Not independently. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah so actually walk backwards yeah. as such. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. Mm. That's that trippy. Sense. They could do all sorts of dance maneuvers, couldn't they? Back. 
No, they couldn't. <laughs> just leave it. Okay. So why is it that the zoos have the Goodfellows tree kangaroo and not one of our Australian native ones? Only in the last couple of years has other zoos been able to have Lamholtz tree kangaroos in their collection. So our, I think it was only in the last year or so they've been able to be transported out of Queensland. So until then we haven't ha- been able to have native species in zoos. Um, yeah, only our exotic species. Oh. Do we know what zoos outside of Queensland keep Lumholtz? None. Oh, none currently? No. So it's only just really recent, yeah, in the last year or so, that they've finalised, um, yeah. Oh, I'm licensed to keep tree kangaroos. Okay. Can you hook me up? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, you'd need some kind of funky enclosure for one, wouldn't you? Are you licensed for... Yeah. Yeah, wow. So regular land kangaroos live in... <laughs> <laughs> or kangaroos. <laughs> John, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What a wanker. Isn't it? Can we just say, can we have to start saying land kangaroos now? Regular land kangaroos. <laughs> Regular Terrestrial land kangaroos. kangaroos. Yeah. Kangaroos live in mobs. Do, do tree kangaroos live in packs, mobs? No, or, or? so it's quite rare to see them in a group. Um, the joey will normally stay around with its mum for about 18 months, but apart from that, they won't often be in a group, yeah. Do they have a wide range of diet where they are? Or? Well, they're still trying to investigate that. There's still not a lot known about the Lumholtz tree kangaroo. Karen's still working on that as well, but she's feeds them about, I reckon, about 12 species, different species. But, yeah, they're not completely sure on how many they're eating in the wild. It'd be hard to study an animal that, like you say, can be up to 30 metres off the ground. You know, you'd, that's you'd right. be a lot of behaviours that you just wouldn't know about. Yeah, mm. that's right. Like, how do they communicate and things? Would, would that yeah. just be smell and... Yeah, and they do vocalise as well. They do yeah, make wow. sounds. I'm not going to repeat it on here, but... <laughs> I think you are. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but a lot of it is like a clicking sound, and that's a mating call, or the joey talking to its mum, trying to find its mum. If it's out of sight, they'll do like a clicking sound as well. Yeah. One of the girls here is raising a western grey kangaroo and the joeys have a... It's a scary call. Yeah, that's almost like a, um, a cross between a cough, a sneeze and a, and a clicking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are, they, are they dangerous at all? Are they? Uh, no, fierce? so they're not going to come down from the tree and, and attack you. If you do encounter it in a corner or try and hurt it or anything like that, they can, they can do a little bit of damage. I mean, they do have quite sharp teeth. They have big claws and they are very muscular, so they can hang on and they can do a bit of damage that way, but they're not out to get you or nasty species. It's like a lot of the mammals, like, you know, potteroos and bedongs, they're super cute, but they've got a nasty bite yes. if, if they have a mind to, <laughs> don't they? That's right. You got to raise a tree kangaroo at home. That's so cool. Yeah, so my boss at the time, she did some amazing work and she actually did the first cross-foster of a Goodfellows tree kangaroo into a yellow-footed rock wallaby pouch and it was successful. So when it got too big for the pouch of the yellow foot, she took over and, yeah, I helped her out a bit with that one and, yes, it was a, it was a pretty interesting experience. Wow, I know they cross-foster the brush-tailed and black-footed rock wallabies into the yellow foot, so I didn't realise yeah, they that's put right. tree kangaroos Yeah, in. so it was a bit of a last-minute thing. Unfortunately, our female tree kangaroo passed away when she had this little tiny joey. And, it was, yeah, it was just a last-minute thing. Let's try this. And, yeah, a little two-centimetre-size joey got placed into one of our yellowfoots and, yeah, remarkably started growing and grew, yeah, too big for the pouch and my boss took over. So 
Wow. Yeah. Do you yeah. still have that animal at Adelaide? No, so he's moved to Singapore with a female, and, yeah, he's just yeah coming into his breeding season and age, and, yeah, they seem to be doing really well over there. How do you manage them outside in Adelaide, being a tropical species? Do they manage all right? They can have a few problems with their eyes and stuff like that if it is too dry, so it's important to make sure that the exhibit is always misted and kept quite wet. But apart from that, they seem to adapt pretty well. Now, speaking about eyes, a lot of wild animals, uh, the tree kangaroos up north, are turning up blind? Yes, that's correct. So I have talked about, obviously, dog attacks and being hit by cars. Yes. Um, but the yeah, one of the biggest reasons at the moment that Karen is encountering is uh, tree kangaroos coming in blind. Just recently, she's found one in the public toilets up near her place and also one in the hardware store. So, yeah, they're going pretty much fully blind and encountering in places that they shouldn't be That's so and sad. Um, running into a bit of strife. So she would have 23 tree kangaroos in care and I'd say 75% of them would be blind. So yeah, it's really sad. They're not old animals. They're quite young animals still, some of them. So yeah, she's doing a lot of work with them and you know, trying to find out what's going on. There's nothing that can be done for these animals apart from care for them? Yeah, at the moment it's just care. She's working with an ophthalmologist to look at um, what's happening with their eyes and um, what could be the causes and potential treatments. But at this stage there is no treatment. It's just managing them on a daily basis in captivity. So they're thinking that it could be because the toxins in the plants they're eating is increasing due to climate change or changes in the weather in the rainforest or it could be a disease that they haven't determined yet. Yeah, how long has it been going on for? I think it's only just been recently. Karen's been doing it for about 20 years, but I think she's only just encountered it in the last 10 years or so. Are any of our tree kangaroos considered threatened? Yeah, so Lumholtz and the Bennets are considered threatened. So Lumholtz, we're thinking only about 10,000 left in the wild, and they're quite fragmented. So if something did happen, like a bushfire or some sort of catastrophic event, then we could potentially lose the whole population. It's quite difficult when they live solitary like that. That's to, right. To build up numbers of something. Yeah, yeah. And the pouch life is quite long, obviously eight months in the pouch and then and probably another 12 months after that living with the mum. So it, it's, it's a long, long time. How long do they live? About 20, 25 years. Really? Yeah. Wow. yeah. quite a while. Yeah. Do we know how many babies they can have within their lifetime? Um, I'm not sure. Their breeding, I think, stops about 15. So I suppose one to two a year so yeah they they hit sexual maturity about two and a half to three now you get to work with all sorts of native mammals can i just ask though how did you get into it what made you want to you know be a zookeeper and work with native mammals particularly yeah yeah so it all started off when i was younger i used to go on a lot of family trips and holidays and one of them was my trip to fraser island as i was a younger kid we did a ranger program and this ranger was just amazing to me and I thought he just had the best job and I thought, right, that's definitely what I want to do in the future. And ever since then, I did a lot of wildlife rescue. Even when I was only 12, I had turtles. And um, and then, yeah, it just evolved into a love for animals and, yeah, went from there. But I suppose the other main thing is I did struggle a lot with mental health when I was younger. Even now, not so much, but I still do. And I felt that animals gave me that bit of comfort and release, a bit of love that... Yeah, helped me out quite a bit. I hear that a lot with animals. You do. You hear that a yeah. lot. Mm. We do We do a lot of work with Animals Anonymous uh, for people with mental health issues, uh, suicide prevention, yep. 
And yeah, animals have a way of engaging with people. It's the best medicine before yeah, they start right. getting serious medicine. Yeah. Yes, it is yeah. just awesome. So that's if you're right. feeling down, folks, get a get a get crocodile. Yeah. 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 What? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> get a brown snow. <laughs> yeah. No, that's lovely. And do you find like working at the zoo, it must be awesome seeing people, you know, coming along and just you know, just enjoying the, the looks on their faces, yeah, seeing the that's animals right. and. Yeah, it, it, that, that is correct. But I suppose it's also showing people species that they've never seen before, like the tree kangaroo. A lot of people have never even heard of a tree kangaroo before, and when they come to the exhibit and they see that animal, you can see, like, wow, the, it's pretty amazing. And, yeah, unless people can see that animal directly, they may never know about that species. And so it's a good way of educating people and, I suppose, trying to convey a... Raise that awareness. Yes, yeah, raise that awareness and try to develop a love for animals that people may not have had before seeing them. It's funny you say that. Like, there'd be a lot of people out there that wouldn't even know what a tree kangaroo is. You'd say tree kangaroo, and they'd be like, "What are you, what are you talking yeah, about?" Yeah, yeah, they can't comprehend that sort of animal being in a tree. No. Yeah, <laughs> it's so. It's amazing we don't call penguins seabirds. No, I'll take that out. That's stupid. There are seabirds. Um, so <laughs> 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 smart when I thought it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when I, I, as you know, I mean, you've come along and helped me at demos before yeah. with Animals Anonymous Diet. We, we display the betong and people are like, what's that? It's a betong. What's a betong? It's that. You know, yes, it just goes around in circles. That's right. They feel like they should, well, they know all the Australian yeah. animals, but there's 250 species of marsupials right. in Australia. And yeah, even though they may be able to comprehend a tree kangaroo, they can't comprehend that we have two species in Australia. Actually, striped possums. You saw a striped yes. possum while you were yeah. away. Yeah, they are absolutely beautiful. They're, yes. they're in the same family as sugar gliders and squirrel gliders. Yes, that's correct, yeah. But they don't have the membrane for gliding. No, no. Um, but they're just beautiful black and white yes. striped animals. Yep. Stunning. stunning. Yeah, stunning. I haven't seen one of those. We'll have to have a look at that. Mm. Mm. Papua New Guinea again beat us. Yes. I mean, we've got one species. They've got yeah. like, many, haven't they? Yeah, Several they've got species. quite a few species. Yes, they've got yeah, some pretty cool species over there that yeah, quite related to, to ours. Yeah, they beat us quite a bit. I can tell you they don't have any betongs. But they've got two species of quail that we don't have. So we've got four qual species. They've got, mm. they've got two more that we don't have. They, they yeah. do all right. They're marsupials. They do. They do all right. Yeah. So where's Wallace's line? That's above that. It is above that, mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Makes so sense. that's the other side where there's cats and bears and monkeys. Mm. And down here we've got marsupials. They um, have more echidnas than us too, don't they? Like we've just got the short-beaked echidna. They've got like another I don't know, three or four species. They've got yeah. the David Attenborough echidna, the, the long-billed echidna. And, so you get to work with all sorts of Australian native mammals and you get to raise stuff. And even still, I mean, you're a full-time zookeeper, but I notice that you still find the time to to, to raise animals and do animal caring. And I yeah. mean, that's, that's a bit of a full-time job on its own. Where do you find the time for you? It is, yes. Um, yeah, I work with animals and I come home and work with animals again. I suppose because it gives me that much enjoyment that it's not really another job or a waste of time or... There's not enough time or anything like that. But, yeah, I do a bit of wildlife rescue outside of work. I've been doing that for quite a while now. And, yeah, the town seems to know my name and everything gets dropped at my door now. But, yeah, lots of macropods, birds, possums. Um, yeah. Do you have any animals that you've worked with that um, really stick in your mind? That have... um, well, I suppose the tree kangaroos. Tree kangaroos are something that are quite unique, not like anything else. And I do like my other macropods, like yellow-footed rock wallabies and stuff like that. People don't get too excited about kangaroos and, and things like that when they come to the zoo, I, I don't think. They're more interested in lions and tigers, but I feel like there should be a bit more appreciation for Australian native mammals and, 
and yeah, that's that's my goal. <laughs> no, so the, well said. So there's other things other than reptiles in zoos. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I should look around. You have to, have yeah. to, you have to give Siva behind the scenes. Yeah, to that's, right. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that the tourists, though, that come to the local zoos, yeah, international luck. tourists, they get excited, especially the koalas. They love the koalas and and um, species like that. Uh, but I suppose when people think of zoos, they don't as such think of native mammals and native birds, stuff like that. They think more of lions, tigers, giraffe. I think more of the native side and think we should have a bit more appreciation for how amazing they are. And Especially since yeah. we've got the worst mammal extinction on the planet. That's right. Um, it's funny, I, I got on that bandwagon for a while of hating koalas. A lot of people did because everybody comes here and loves yeah. koalas so much. Yes. It just makes you go, well, bloody yeah. koalas, what's so good about them? Grunting things, they don't do much, they <laughs> sleep all day, but they're, they just, are pretty. No, go on, just tell you. <laughs> sure. Three o'clock this morning, we had a male koala. Yeah, I told you this, mm-hmm. like male koala tromping around on my roof <laughs> of my house. That's like and, a hippopotamus. And it was unbelievable. And you instantly went, that's a koala. And then it would sit on the edge of each corner of the house <laughs> and just moan yes. at females out there and then walk somewhere else and then have a good moan at everything and then walk somewhere it was going on yeah. forever and it yeah. kept me awake so we're coming into this type of season for when they will be quite vocal and trying to find a female so you will hear them quite a lot at the moment most yeah. of my English friends would go that's awesome that's, <laughs> no it's not it's not that great at all the, the tree that is there in front of my house that almost touches my house might be gone soon <laughs> Right, okay. It won't be, no. No, it was great. It was sort of great, but I was tired. Well, I mean, I've had brush-tailed possums run on my roof, and it does sound like a a bigger animal than, you know, a brush-tailed possum is, and a koala would be heavier again. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just just a slow thump, 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 thump as it goes across. (laughs) It was good. We have possums falling out of the trees above our house, like onto the roof, and then you wait for about 10 or 15 seconds, and then you hear them just scuttle off. (laughs) (laughs) You're just listening, oh, did it hurt itself? Is it all right? And then you hear it just run off. Yeah, they're pretty tough possums. It's funny you said before, though, Steve, about you know, asked whether you know, tree kangaroos would fall out of trees sometimes and injure themselves. I'm sure they do, because my friend Karen, she had um, a koala up in a tree. She lives on a hill, and she just happened to spot a koala in a tree and was and witnessed it fall out of the tree, <laughs> yes. and it rolled down the hill into a fence. So it clearly happens. Yeah, I've seen a koala okay? fall out and die. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Oh, well. Oh. So, yes, there is the chance that they could. Yeah, accidents happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Do you know what I have wondered about? Like, we used to have giant koala species in Australia, mm-hmm. and you, when you're sitting out here some nights and you're listening to, like, it's a boobal cow and some frogs, then you hear the male koala, <laughs> you know, the noise they make. Like, yeah. Some of these ancient giant koalas must have sounded oh, crazy. Yes. They probably right. didn't, did they? They probably went, hee hee. It's Some pathetic call. Yeah. So, a good thing about Karen and her work is her main goal is to release all the treeries that come to care or put them to a use other than just normal captivity. So even her blind ones, they are all um, sent off to different zoos or wildlife parks for um, for breeding um, as a yeah part of a breeding program. So they're not you just not just wasted in a in enclosure, and it also gives them another chance at a life. And, um, yeah, all the ones that she hand raises are all released as well. So, yeah, the main goal is not to keep any in captivity. 
Well, that's great. And then the breeding's good too because, you know, you talked about if a fire went through their habitat, yeah. you could lose significant you that's know, right. genetics and yeah. security populations. Yeah, so yeah, a bit of insurance policy. Mm. Yeah. It's good if the zoos, because zoos do a lot of, what are the, the register books? That like to, the stud books yeah, and stuff. The stud yeah, the stud books to keep yeah. them separate, so that's good that they that's go right. into the zoos as well. Yeah, yeah, to keep the genetics going and, yeah, mm. just have that back up in case something did happen. The engine room. The engine room. That's mm. what Tim Faulkner called it, didn't yeah. he? With the yeah. Aussie like art analogy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good good idea. So, so people like Karen are pretty remarkable, aren't they? Because they they're not a business. You know, they're working purely out of passion. Yes, that's right. So she's basically a volunteer for herself. So yeah, she's a, a non for profit organisation, and yeah, she dedicates her whole life, twenty four hours a day, to the care of those tree kangaroos. There'll be people that are listening that'll absolutely want to. You know, support what she's doing. Yes, definitely. So we'll make sure we've got some links on the website and on our Facebook page so people can. can yeah, find so out more even about if it. you can just search Tree Roo Rescue and Conservation Centre, there'll be some links there as well and you can see what she does and yeah, all the amazing work that she dedicates her whole life to. Yeah, I follow Karen's page, it's awesome. Yes. It's hard work. I mean, you guys raising I mean, some of these animals need like four or five hour feeds. That's more. right. So yeah, Karen's getting up all hours of the night and this isn't just a one week commitment it's up to 12 to two year commitment of raising these animals so yeah it's a big commitment for her and she can sometimes have more than one joy going at the same time sleep's important so it's yeah. a, it's um it's yes. a sacrifice that people make isn't it yeah but a lot of her tree kangaroos actually do sleep with her in her room so it makes it a bit easier for her getting up at night time <laughs> yeah i get it I've, I've slept with a few marsupials in my time just quietly yeah, yeah. that doesn't sound right at all anyway yeah. we'll where does that out. where does she get the uh, the funding from or does uh, she get so funding? it's just from the public funding she hardly gets any funding at all from elsewhere so yeah just mainly fundraising and and public awareness any trillionaires out there want to yeah that's right <laughs> yeah for sure especially the research with the blindness that's infecting, yes, infecting yeah. these animals yeah it's really important seeing these animals it's really sad because like I say they're not old animals it's not old age blindness it's they're young animals quite quite disheartening to see so many coming in yeah well hopefully we, we do a podcast in a, in a year or two and we, we find out why it's happening and, and what we're doing yes. and some is that the only animal research. that is affecting up there that's... as far as I know yeah, yeah. that's only the tree kangaroos so it's obviously something a species that they're eating that the others are not or a disease that they are able to catch and the others others can't. It's interesting you were saying how the plants could be getting more toxic because yes. of global warming. Yeah. So I suppose it's going to affect the ones on the outside more on the outside fringe of the rainforest that are getting more sun. So I suppose that's something else that they're looking at could yeah, potentially be the change in the climate up there and yeah, they're increasing their toxins to try and save themselves pretty much. They eat a diversity of genera i mean yeah i mean a lot of the you know arboreal marsupials like koalas and mm-hmm. ringtail possums and greater gliders they yeah. pretty much just eat eucalyptus that's I mean, right i think ringtails might diversify a bit but these guys they like figs yes and yes all sorts great. of other plants yeah. in the rainforest yeah. yeah yes that's right so they need to stop eating the ones that are making them go blind maybe exactly. you should tell them that <laughs> idiots <laughs> you're solved Big problem. You're welcome. Right. <laughs> Loudspeaker out in the rainforest. Yep. <laughs> Play this. <laughs> There's a few tourist ventures up there where people will take you out spotlighting for these animals. There is a yeah, a few tours that you can do at night time. Does Karen monetize what she does at all? Is there is, is there a way people can go along and have an encounter with the tree kangaroo? No, she's... so she's completely closed to the public. She, yeah, she's just completely private enterprise, I guess. I suppose she would be happy to take 
some people in and, and show you what she does, but a lot of it is shown on her social media website and her Facebook. But yeah, at the moment, like I said before, she's got about 23 individuals in, so she's got a lot of enclosures and um, she needs to start building more to keep up with that as well. But yeah, now she's up to about 23 individuals, so it's a lot of a lot And of they've all groups. got the eyesight problem? Not all of them, probably about 75%. Yeah. Yeah, and the rest are joeys, dog attacks, or been hit by a car. Yeah. It's a mm. shame, isn't it? Mm. I'd hate to be a blind tree kangaroo. Yeah, it's not very nice. But it's amazing how well they do adapt in a new environment and do find the ropes and perching and stuff like that. It's, yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. And it's amazing how much they trust Karen, considering they are blind. They don't know humans. They've never encountered humans before. Humans smell, and yet they do trust Karen a lot. That's yeah, really pretty interesting. Amazing. I mean, because you imagine, like, I mean, just you know, for the average punter that's had, you know, you've got a dog and, you know, yeah. a dog goes blind. It, the sense of smell is pretty amazing. But yes. these things jump from branch to branch. That's like, right. You need to be able to see where you go. You can't exactly. smell where the how yes. far away the branch is. Yeah. Is, so, there, yeah, a, is there an age relation to it? Are they all adults? No, it's or? all different different ages, even young ones. She's got a few in at the moment that are about two to three years old that have encountered this blindness as well. Totally irrelevant, but they were a traditional food, weren't they? Yes, they were. And, the, and pretty sure they still are in Papua New Guinea in some areas. They still hunted for food and their pelts and a lot of the education work over there is trying to stop that. So the Goodfellows tree kangaroo was mainly hunted for their pelts and that's why they're threatened and yeah that's what they're trying to stop over there at the moment have you kept any other tree kangaroos at adelaide Zip? so up until about three years ago we also had the matches tree kangaroo which is also from papua new guinea they are a bit more of a stocky rounded tree kangaroo compared to the good fellows difference in appearance so it's got a creamy colored face and a and a brown body compared to the good fellows who's quite a reddy brown with yellow stripes they're beautiful. And a big yellow stripe down its back. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of people think that you've got the best job in the world working at a zoo. Is it all it's cracked up to be? Uh, most of the time, yes. I think people have a perception that you go to work and you cuddle animals all day. But, yeah, that's not correct at all. It's, it's only half the day. Half the day. Maybe quarter. <laughs> um, a lot of the day is obviously cleaning exhibits and cleaning up a lot of poo. And then I suppose the rest of the day is doing more animal-related stuff. But, yeah, it's, it's a wide variety of things. You're doing medications, breeding, obviously their water, their food, enrichment, training, a whole, whole load of things. But, yeah, it's not just playing with animals all day. <laughs> and Adelaide's a fantastic zoo. It's got vets that are always there. Yeah. You know, really good quarantine, of course. Yeah. And there's a lot of conservation projects that happen behind the scenes too, which people may or may not be aware of. Yeah, so Adelaide Zoo is quite well known for their orange-bellied parrot, their regent honey eater, um, in the past the yellow-footed rock wallaby and the brush-tailed rock wallaby. Um, we've also got the western swamp tortoise program as well and the pygmy blue tongues. So, yeah, quite a few conservation programs happening at Adelaide Zoo. Now, one of your favourite animals, die is the kangaroo island dunnart. Yes, Can you talk yes. a little bit about that? So the kangaroo island dunnart is another species that is not very well known at all. It's a dunnart that lives mainly in the Flinders Chase National Park on Kangaroo Island, completely endemic to the island. It's not found anywhere else. They're thinking maybe a population of 500 at the maximum. Yeah, critically endangered and very highly fragmented. So, yes, they're in a bit of trouble. Not a lot of research has been done until recently. Uh, KI Land for Wildlife has started up a bit of a project now. I went down and spent... A week with them just recently and they're doing a lot of camera trapping and pitfall traps 
yeah, doing a bit of work with them, which is really exciting. Is that Pat Hodgson? Yes, and, and Heidi. And Heidi. Okay. Yeah, so they're doing some great work down there as well. And, yeah, so we did a lot of looking at the camera trap footage and we did actually find a few donuts on there, which was really exciting. Do you think Adelaide will ever get involved with the uh, kangaroo and donut? Um, I think it would be something that would be really exciting. We have fat-tailed donut at Adelaide Zoo, so we do have the breeding history there and the knowledge. But at this stage, it's hard to even capture one. I think in the last 20 years, they've done 13,000 pitfall traps and they've caught one in, in all those surveys. So, yeah, they're quite <laughs> quite a hard species. And to get a breeding pair or to even yeah, get, get a pair at all would be quite hard, yes. Yeah, very challenging. What, what would be the reason on Kangaroo Island for that? They've not got... Cats or yes, so they do have wild cats there and, cats, and pigs as well. In most of the camera footage, there was a wild cat. So some of it was really upsetting. You'd see a, a dunna in one footage and then in the next snap, there would be the wild cat. So it's, yeah, quite disheartening. Mm. It's, yeah. it's the most threatened mammal on the island, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, We had uh, Dr David Peacock on the show and he was talking how they they want to make Kangaroo Island cat-free. Yes, and yes. He would like, he's the guy that was responsible for... Uh, well, spearheading the, the Western quoll reintroduction in the Flinders. Yes. He wants to put spotted tail quolls onto Kangaroo mm-hmm. Island. Yeah. They're also doing, because Pat also does cat eradication as well, um, and he is trialling the, I'm not sure what it's called exactly, but where the cats go and taste something and then they lick their bodies. Or yeah. It goes past and spits something on them. Yes, that's right. And, and they, they, they then they lick their, lick their fur and then they, yeah, yeah. Face mm. their death. Yeah. Though it doesn't sound very nice, but yeah, it's just, it's getting to the point where something does else does need to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys have got stick nest rats now. Yes, that's correct. But so we've had stick nest rats for for a long, long time. But yeah, just get, getting back into the breeding again. Is there a reason why you're breeding? Because they are also threatened, and they're quite a fragmented species as well. So the only wild population left is on uh, Franklin Island, off the coast of Sejuna, and all our other populations are. Not so much captive, but in a in a large predator-proof fenced area. Like arid recovery. Yeah, like arid recovery, yeah. Mm. A lot of our native mammals in Australia are nocturnal. Yes. So a lot of these animals are displayed in the knockhouse. Mm-hmm. That's correct. So, yeah, we have a nocturnal house at Adelaide Zoo to enable visitors to be able to see them in their own, I suppose, environment and light. Our lighting is changed opposite to what we would have. So when I go in the in in the morning, it's daytime for them, and then about two hours later, after I've finished cleaning, it will turn to dark. So it's completely opposite for us. And then when I go home, it will go back to light again. And they they actually respond well to that. Yes, to yes. The so they go through a sunset and a sunrise period in that lighting change as well. So it's not directly a light and then dark. It actually phases into a night or a day so it's not such a shock and they do yeah get get used to that and respond very well to that besides donuts you have any other desiguras at the moment only our devils oh devils yeah, yeah okay yeah steve and i recently went to secret creek and spoke to trevor Evans in uh, lithgow new south wales mm-hmm. and we were talking about his devils we always thought when you see Tassie devils in an exhibit, they just run laps around the outside of the enclosure. We yep. thought, oh, that just looks a bit sad. But he said that was quite normal. That's what they do. Yes. They're a pursuit predator. They smell like a wounded animal, and they'll, they'll run through looking for the animal. That they're always chasing around. They're always looking around for their food. And, mm. So it's not like searching. a pacing behaviour as such. It's 
Yeah, because yeah, I've, I've always looked on it as being quite sad, yes. like the, the bear in a cage yeah, type yeah. scenario. But mm. um, yeah, he was saying, no, it's more natural. You can't stop them doing it. Yes. They're yeah. actually doing their natural thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know any better. And he said that some keepers actually thought the same as we did and they'd actually put obstructions up to try yeah. to prevent them from doing it. Yes, and they'll just go around that. So they'll mm. just keep doing the same thing and just go around that obstruction. So, yeah, it's just a built-in instinct, really. I used to have a Kelpie and it did the same thing. Was it a Kelpie? Well, could could mm. well have been a Dazzyurid, mm. um, a Dazzy Devil. <laughs> no, it was a Kelpie, Steve. Um, I remember... <laughs> And was that a pacing paper? <laughs> <laughs> I think it might have been, yeah, working dog. Yeah. Um, so uh, do you guys work with bats? you have bats? Yeah, in the nocturnal house we have some ghost bats. So it's haunted? Yes. I, I find them amazing. I love anything that's ghosty. Yes, like yeah, no, they, they are amazing. They're, people think of bats as horrible and stinky, and, and they are stinky, but, yeah, they think of them as a, yeah, I don't know, yeah, not a very quite, nice species. I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure what I think of bats that mm. they are one of those that yeah, yeah they're pretty amazing and say the fruit bat in botanic um park without them we wouldn't have uh, cross-pollination and yeah they, so they're a huge part of our ecosystem which people don't understand they just think of them as a pest when they're actually actually not i so. love those gray-headed flying foxes yeah that you're talking about i get them up here in, yes, in, yes. So they are dispersing further now. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and when you see them, like the way they fly, they're so slow. Yeah, it's, like it's amazing. Out of Morador. Yes. Ominous looking things. Mm. So, um, Di, thanks for all the work you do, working not just caring for our animals, but just the work you do educating people and bringing awareness. What would you say to someone that wants to be a zookeeper? It's extremely hard occupation to get into, but yes, don't give up. There was a few times where I thought, no, I can't do this anymore. But yes, keep trying. Do your studying. I did a degree in animal behaviour. You can also do TAFE courses, things like that. But the biggest thing is your practical experience. So a lot of volunteering. Don't be afraid to take opportunities. But yeah, just try and get as much practical knowledge and experience as you can. And yeah, don't give up. That's that's probably the main thing. You will get there. You will get there if you have the right amount of passion and you're a hard worker. Do keeping role is hard work. It's a physical job. Well, you're awesome at what you do. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> and, and you absolutely got there. Don. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. No worries. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Di. Thanks for listening. 